Hey, church, before you take a seat, say hi to five people for me. Say hi to five people right now. Five. That's one, two. Thank you, sir. Three. Shake their hand. Give them a hug. Shake their hand. Give me a, give them a, do whatever. Do whatever it may be. Hey, man. Give them, say hello. Say hello to the Tobers. They just walked in. Hi, Tobers. Yeah, I'm calling you out. Making it really awkward. I love that family. Oh, this is awesome. Erwin, say hi to four or five people right now. Terrell, Rebecca, say hi to five people right now. Right now, right now. Woo! So good to see you guys. You can go ahead and be seated. Go ahead and be seated. Man, it's a pleasure to serve with you guys this morning. Good morning, Christ Church. Man, I am excited. Those who are watching online, online team, thank you guys. For tuning in, I, I went and checked in who's watching online. We got like 10, 15 people watching. That means they're not here, but that's okay. But uh, <laughs> I'm just joking, relax. Uh, man, I'm so excited to serve with you guys this morning. Hey, before we jump into the, to the word, I just want to say thank you uh, uh, to uh, a couple people. So I'm, I've been off for a couple weeks of preaching, and I'm excited to preach today. Uh, this lets you know when I have time off to preach, the very first sermon, I'm sweating my you-know-what out. So uh, just today is going to be an exciting sermon. But I, I want to say thank you to a couple people who filled in while I was out. I want to say thank you to our brother. Don't you walk away, sir. Yeah, I'm talking to you. I want to say thank you to our brother Logan for, for doing an awesome job. Better Together Sunday. He killed it. Preach Ephesians 4. I watched the sermon. I watched your sermons. You don't watch mine, but that's okay. Uh, uh, and I want to say thank you to our lead pastor, uh, Dr. Dave Collins, who came out last week. Man, I mean, I've just been on this, uh, I've been on this excitement where, you know, he talked about this idea of what does our future look like as a church. And I just want us to think about where we are now is not where we're going to be eventually, like, right? Like, God is moving and preparing and establishing and growing and building. He's doing a bunch of great things that's going to uh, move us forward in the future. And I want to get excited for what that looks like. And I want you to, as well, that, that you will continuously pray for our church, pray for our campus. Not that just we will have a lot of people come, but a lot of people will be on fire for Jesus, right? We, 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 yes, listen, I, we can have a packed church and nobody know Christ, right? And, and, and that's fine. And we want to make room for that. And, and, and if that's you today, we're glad that you're here. But uh, I want to have a church that where, where we go to our jobs and, and we are infecting our jobs with Jesus. Right? Where our communities, our families. So continuously pray for what God is about to do for our church. Just got a few announcements. Uh, uh, February 11th, we have our baptism dedication Sunday. If you've yet to be baptized, you feel like God is moving you towards baptism, come and see us. Come talk to us. We will definitely hook you up. Uh, we also are going to be doing dedication that day. That's the day where we get to partner with families on their faith journey for their children. Uh, we want to be a church that's, the, that's investing in the next generation. Uh, I want to be a church to where my children can, can, can be blessed by what you and I are doing today. We want to be a century church. We want to be a church that when we're in heaven one day with Jesus drinking chai tea, you know, we can look down and say, man, look, old Brooklyn is bigger and better than we ever could have imagined. So if that's you and you have children and you know someone who has children and you want to participate in that, come see us. We will take care of you. Also, February 21st, 
We're going to be having our very first prayer night here at our old Brooklyn campus. That's at 6.30. That's a Wednesday for prayer night. Here, here's the one thing that God, I feel like God has put on my heart uh, as your pastor is that the, the more we pray together, the more we see God's great blessings and the great purpose that he has for this church. Uh, there's one thing that's going to be super important, that you and I are always calling out to God, asking him and, 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 and asking him to do some good work in our church. So that's the time where we're going to come together and we're going to gather that evening and we're going to uh, worship, we're going we're gonna to have a word and then we're going to pray. But we're not just going to pray, we're going to have ways of how we can pray, right? There's prayer of thanksgiving, prayer of healing, uh, prayer of adoration, right? We're going to be doing different ways of how we can pray. Here's the one thing I want you to know as a Christian, the most important thing you could ever do is speak to your Heavenly Father, right? To have a great communication with Him. So, uh, come on out. I'm, I'm expecting to see you. If, if I don't see you, I know where you live, okay? We have a, data, we have a database and I can look it up, so that's a little creepy that I said that. But, um, hey, we're going to be opening up the Word right now. We're going to be going to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. I'm going to read all, all 15 verses for you today, so bear with me. Let's listen to God's word. It says this, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let the steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect, complete, lacking in nothing. If any one of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him, unmasking faith without doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind, but that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and enrich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. The sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass, its flower falls and its beauty perishes, so also will be the rich man fade in the midst of his pursuits. Listen to verse 12. Blessed is the man, blessed is the one, some of your translations say, who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive a crown of life, which God had promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, for he himself tempts no one. Each person is tempted. He is lured enticed by his own desires. That desire, when it's conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, brothers. This is God's doing. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Dear Father, we love you. Open up our hearts today. Open up our minds. Give us clear vision of what you want to speak to our hearts. Open us a Help us to hear a word that, Lord, gives you and I a sense of, of gives us a sense of, of hope, gives us a sense of joy, gives us a sense of that you are at work in our lives, Father. Father, you are the only one who can speak and move in beautiful ways. Would you reveal to us your, what you want to speak to us? Would you reveal to us how you want to move in and through us? Uh, would you speak to the young man today who is who is struggling in, their, in his faith. Would you speak to the young woman? Would you speak to the young mom? Would you speak to the couple, the married couple? Would you speak to uh, those who are struggling either with addiction, either with uh, depression, whatever it may be, Lord? Would you speak, Father? And I pray that, that they would open their ears and open their hearts to hear from the living God, the true God. 
He gives breath to our lungs. The one who is responsible for the sun rising, the sun falling as well too. Lord, it is you whom we come to and trust in. We depend only on you. You are a great God and Savior. It's in your son's perfect name as we pray. Amen, amen, amen. Well, good morning one more time. So glad to have you guys here with us. Uh, today is a very special day. Uh, we're going to be starting and kind of continuing in a sermon series that we started a few weeks back uh, in the book of James. So just to let you know, we're going to be in the book of James for about eight or nine weeks. It's a long, long time. Now, we're going to go over every single verse in James, but we're going we're gonna to tackle some, some pretty major themes about James. I love the book of James. My son, my youngest, uh, his name is Isaiah James Anderson. He was named after this book. That's, that's how much I love this book, and we're going to get into those details in, in just a little bit. But the one thing I want you to know about James, let, let me ask you a question. Are any of you like me? Anybody hate being confronted with their flaws? Yep. Yep. Y'all are quiet, which means, yes, you know, silence is all the answer I need, all right? Any, anybody hate being told what to do? Mm, yeah, 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 yeah. Yep, yep, yep. I, I, I learned this very quick in marriage that uh, my wife is not only my wife, but she's also my GPS. She's also my counselor. She's also my accountant, and she's also many other things that I cannot do. But I'm the type of man who doesn't like being told what to do. I don't like being confronted. I'll never forget, maybe you've heard this story before, where I was at this job, and this was years ago before I got on staff at the church, and we had a year-end review. You know, a year-end review is when you sit down with your manager, sit down with your supervisor, and they tell you uh, about your year. And here I am walking into the, to the meeting, and I'm expecting a raise. I'm expecting a closer parking spot. I'm I'm expecting uh, uh, him to pat me on the back because I, I, I'm so entitled. I think I deserve uh, a, a thank you, and you're awesome. And Well, I got the very opposite that day, church. Instead of a good year in review, it, year in review you know what he told me? He says, Anderson, you know, here are seven tardies. You know, uh, you did a no-call, no-show. You did this, you did that. I'm like, I, I'll slap you, bro. Like, don't bring up my, my brokenness. Like, don't, don't talk about how bad I am. Talk about how good I am. I, I want you to tell me how good I am. I want you to tell me how perfect I am, right? Uh, but I learned very quickly, and I still have that same problem today, that I hate being told what to do. I hate being confronted with, with things that are reality, and I don't like accepting the reality, all right? I'm a broken man, church, and you are too. But, uh, but the one thing that I, I realize is James is going to confront you and I with some things that we need to understand and realize for the sake of our faith. James is a, is a book that's, that's up and center right in front of you, going to tell you what you need to do and what you need not to do, right? So strap your boots, put on your headgear, it's going to be a long ride. But James is, he's not after to, to burden us or to, to discourage us, but he, he's after to, to encourage you and I about what it looks like to have two things, to have, to have a, an enduring faith, right, Right, but also to have a living faith. Right, that that if you're taking down notes and you want to understand the book of James, I can I can just describe to you James in, in that type of way. James wants to encourage you and I to have an enduring faith, right? Because faith is essential when when you face adversity. And we're going to talk about that a little bit today, but also he's going to encourage you and I to have a living faith. 
Now, let me stop right there. A, a lot of you can admit, probably, and, and even the preacher himself on the stage, a lot of you admit we need God to bring a, breathe a little bit of life into our faith today. Right? Right? Because, you know, we've been kind of going through the motions, and the motions aren't working anymore. Right? We go to church one week, and then we, 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 we don't see any progress, right? We kind of stop praying, stop reading, stop gathering, whatever it may be. And we need God to breathe life into our faith. Well, that's James's idea. That's James's motive. He wants to present to you and I a lifestyle that is devoted and committed, not for the sake so God can love you, so God can bless you, but because God has been so good to you. James's main theme is to, is to focus on who you are becoming because God's more interested on who you're becoming, right? right? Who you're becoming is the, is, the, is, the, is the greatest question you have to ask yourself. Right? Am I becoming more like my environment? Am I becoming more like my past? Right? Well, well, the Christian life is to be shaped and filled and, and, and becoming more like Christ. The gospel-filled life is one where Christ is at work in you and through you, working on who you are becoming. And, and let me just stop there real quick. Uh, ask yourself, are you happy with who you're becoming today? Silence means no. Um, <laughs> are, 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 are you thrilled in the person that you are today, the version that exists in this room, the version that exists watching online, right? But that's James's mindset is to get you and I on a path. Listen to this, friends. To get you and I on a path where our becoming looks more and more like Jesus. The one thing that I've realized more now than ever, I, I, I look too much like what so-and-so did to me or what so-and-so didn't do for me, and I don't look enough like Jesus, right? I'm just speaking from my own experience. Maybe I could just preach about myself today, and maybe you'll be like, oh, he's a broken man, but I'm in the same category, right? Right? There's, there's so many times where I, I look so much like the dysfunction of my family, right? Right? When my family doesn't need anyone to reflect the brokenness, we need to re reflect the, the beauty of Jesus Christ. And that's James's main idea. So that's what we're going to be doing for the next several weeks and, 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 and helping you and I to have an enduring faith, but also have a living faith. Living faith is later on in James, but right now we're going to talk about having an enduring faith. Uh, when I did this sermon a couple weeks ago, we talked about verses 2 to 4. Can you bring up two, verses 2 to 4 on the screen for them? This is how James starts off his letter. James, who happens to be the half-brother of Jesus, he's writing to a, a group of people, and this is what he says right off the bat. Doesn't give an introduction, just goes right off the bat. He says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Let's stop right there. James says, what? You want me to be happy that life is hard? Wait, you want me to be happy that, that I'm in this difficult situation? Right? You, you want me to be happy that, 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 that I'm fighting with my spouse all the time? What? You, you want me to be happy that... Financially, I'm, we're not where we need to be, and we're, we're living paycheck to paycheck. You want me to be happy, right? But here, here's what James is going to teach us. James is going to teach us a few things about our trials. And I've noticed this, friends. I've noticed this. You and I have to have, to have a better way of how we approach the difficulties of life. Because we're not very good at it, friends, right? Right? Anybody like me, when life gets hard, you're the first one to freak out and go on Facebook about it and tell everybody how hard your life is? Silence means yes, but uh, 
y'all just, y'all not going to help me out today. That's all right. That's all right. Jesus is with me. The Holy Spirit got me, all right? Keith got me too. Come on, Keith. <laughs> right? What, what James is going to do, James is going to help shape us to have a 30,000-foot view of our trials. Because when life is hard, all you see is hard. Right? All you focus is on the difficulty. Right? That's your mindset on, which is why it drives you crazy, which is why you're fighting with everyone, you're mad at everything, right? The smallest thing ticks you off, and, right? But James is going to give us a 30,000-foot view of how we need to view our trials. And the first thing James says, he says that we need to understand that we're going to face difficulty in life. You can't avoid it, right? Hey, can I just tell you right now, God wants you to flourish. God wants you to do some great things. But at the end of the day, things are going to be hard, right? And things are going to be hard. A lot, right? James also goes on and says uh, in verse 3, look what he says in verse 3. He says, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Here's what James also says. He says, trials are meant to test us. I said this in week one. You probably don't remember this. If you do, God bless you. Get brownie points when you get to heaven. But I said this in the sermon. I said, when, when, when you and I can under, understand the design of our difficulty, that our difficulty is not just random, but it's got a design. When we understand the design of our difficulty, well, then we can face our difficulty in a much better way, right? This is what he says. James says, trials, difficulty, adversity, when, you're, when your coworker gets on your nerve, which we all have, Haley and Logan, shut up, but which, you know, we, we all have that coworker that gets on our nerves, that boss that makes life a little bit harder, Right? Right? We all have difficulty. Either, either, either you're in difficulty or you're about to go into some difficulty, just to let you know. Okay? But here, here's what James is saying. That is meant to test you. It's meant to test you. The better way to explain this is, is this idea of refining. Uh, I, I looked this up a few weeks ago, um, and I didn't get to say this in the sermon, so I feel really stupid, but I'll say it right now. The idea of testing is like, think of like when metal and gold and silver go through a furnace, right? Right. Some of you, you got, you got necklaces on and rings on, right? Like, did you know that before it ever made it to you or ever made it to the jewelry store, it had to go through fire? Did you know that? Seriously, did you know that? Did you know that, that before the, the jewelry that you have on today, it had to go through a testing Right? And the idea of going through the testing was to get rid of any impurities and get rid of any other flaws and everything so it can be able to present a certain product. In the same way, James wants you and I to understand that it is in our difficulty where God is, 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 is getting away or, 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 or taking away certain flaws within us. Because trials grow us, friends. Right? Trials are essential for growth and maturity, right? Listen, all the, all the folks in the room today who, who got a little bit of age on them, you are where you are today because life sucked yesterday, right? And us young people, we need your wisdom. We, we, need, we need your wisdom. We need to sit back and say, how do I do this? My marriage is tough. How do I do this, right? I, I'm, I'm, I'm not doing great in the financial field. I, I'm not doing this, right? Right? And James says trials are essential for you and I becoming more and more mature. Notice he said in, in verse 4, he said, let the testing have its full effect so that you may be perfect, complete, lacking in nothing. You know what trials does? It fulfills what's lacking in you. Right? 
Now notice in verse 5. Go to verse 5. I didn't read verse 5, but notice in verse 5. Look at what he says in verse 5. If any one of you lacks. I didn't catch this week one when I preached, which I'm beating myself up still today, but I can talk to you about it now. Notice in verse 4, he talks about lacking, and then in verse 5, he talks about lacking again, right? Because at the end of the day, if you and I, we, we sat down and we handed each and every one of us a piece of paper, and we, we wrote down the things that we're, we thought we were lacking in, we would need a couple more pieces of paper, right? We, we would say, hey, you got three or four more? <laughs> you know, I'm going to write a book right now, you know what I'm saying, you know? But, but, but James tells us that it is, we need to be focused on, here's what I want to say before we talk about the next part today. We need to be focused on what God can achieve in our trials, right? Not the trials itself. It's hard to look at what God can do because we're so consumed of what's happening in the moment, right? We're so consumed with how, how much it stinks right now. We're so consumed with the, the actual darkness of the situation, right? And I get that, and I sympathize with that, friends. And James sympathizes with that too. So the count of all joy is not be happy because life stinks, but be happy because of what God can do through your adversity. That's what he says. He says, he says hey, I'm not telling you to count it all joy because, you know, nobody likes you. You feel lonely. You feel depressed. And you should just be happy. No. Right? There's a grieving that we need to do in that. Right? God does some great healing within those brokenness. But what he's actually trying to say within this passage is he's trying to get you and I, as Sam Alberry says, I love this quote by him. He says, as Christians, we are to think about our trials in light of what God is achieving in us and through us. Right? In light of our trials, in light of our difficulty, we have to realize the joy is that God is going to get the last word in this. That God is going to get the last word in this hard moment, in this uh, uh, situation right now. He says that, that we need to look at what God is achieving in us and through us. Right? What God is achieving in us and through us. So that's what he does. He focuses on how you and I need to see the reality of our difficulty. Well, guess what, friends? He's going to transition. Now he's going to talk about how we need to respond to the difficulties of life. I don't know if you know, life is full of seasons. Can we all say yeah? Life is full of phases. Where are my married folks at? You remember when it was just, it was just you two? You remember that? You did whatever you wanted. You slept in however long you wanted. You spent however much you wanted. You did whatever, right? You did whatever you wanted to do. And then for some reason you had this bright idea to have children. Right? And then next year you know, am I right? Next year you know, it's a whole different season. Right? Right? And I had to learn this the hard way. Right? Because I'm thinking, oh, I had kids. I can still do what I'm doing, you know. I can still be out with the boys, you know. Right? You, you, you hear me. I'm sorry about that, Scott. I'm a, I'm a sinner. I'm sorry about that. You know, I can go out with the boys, I can stay up late, I can do whatever I want, you know, I, I can do all of this, but I learned very quickly, children change your life. Can I get an amen from the, from the parents today, right? But what was the problem? The problem wasn't that, 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 that I had children, which that's debatable, but the problem wasn't that I had children, is that I didn't adjust my mindset for the season that I was in, Right? I, I, didn't, I wasn't able to see, because here's the thing, friends, there are certain seasons or certain circumstances 
that require a different response, right? Some of you, you're empty nesters right now, right? And that's great. That's awesome. Some of us, we can't wait for the day that happens. But uh, that's a different season of life, right? And James is going to talk about the seasons of life. There, there are seasons in your life where you need to ask God for wisdom, right? right? There's a season of your life where God is, is making you wiser, right? There's a season in your life where God is working on the doubts that you have because we all wrestle with doubt. God's existence, God's goodness, the Bible, the church, right? There, there are seasons of life like we have to wrestle with certain things. And that's what he talks about in verses 5 to 8 without reading it. He talks about that, hey, man, you got you to gotta respect the season that you're in, right? I'm just getting out of a season where I held a lot of resentment towards people. Held a lot of resentment. But here I was trying to do the, the church thing because, you know, the church thing is important. And I got to show everybody how, how perfect and how much I have it together and grow the church and all of this. But, but you know, want to know the problems that I was wrestling so, uh, even more in the season that I was in? Because I didn't respect the fact that I had true resentment and a grudge on my heart. And the Lord had to be at work in that area. I'm not saying that you, but there's something in this season right now where you're not looking at it correctly. Right? You're, you're, not, you're not looking at your life, okay, God, what are you doing right now? Right? Because right now all I'm doing is focusing on the bad, but what good do you want to bring in my life right now? So that's what James talks about, and that's where we get to verses 9 all the way to 15. Now, I just want you to know, spoiler alert, I'm, I'm going to hit hard on verses 9 through 11 because it's beautiful. Right? At first glance, you're like, what the heck is this guy talking about? But when we look deeper and deeper, James presents a beautiful, beautiful message to us. Let's go ahead and read verses 9 through 11. It says it like this. James says, now this is a different season of life that we need to learn how to, how to work through. Let the lowly brother or sister, let the lowly brother or sister boast in his exaltation and the rich, verse 10, in his humili humiliation because like a flower of the grass, he would pass away for the sun rises with a scorching heat and withers the grass and uh, flowers falls, its beauty perishes, so also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. I know it looks confusing, but look up here. I'm telling you, this is a beautiful passage. I, I can tell you right now, if you can get verses 9 through 11 right, you'll get your life right. I'm telling you right now. Right? You, you'll get your life right. Here's what James is trying to say. I think what James is trying to do is, James is uh, uh, potentially, he's speaking of how you and I need to learn how to manage ourselves in trials. Because here's the thing. When life is hard, you cope in an unhealthy way, right? When, when life is difficult, you, 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 have a, you, you, you don't manage yourself well, right? As a matter of fact, uh, I've read this out of Psychology Today. I like to read things that aren't always Christian, but Psychology Today says this. Most of our addictions and our unhealthy habits are directly connected to, our mis to us mismanaging our trials, right? right? Most of us today... We have unhealthy habits, not because, you know, we just decided to get them, but because life got a little hard, right? I'll never forget, I was, uh, at one point, I played basketball. Um, it's about 25 years ago. I tried out, there was an A team and a B team. A team, obviously, every kid's excited to make, right? You want to make the A team. A team is where all the parents go to the games, they get the best court, they don't get the auxiliary gym, they get the main gym, you know what I'm saying? They get the main gym, and, and you want to make the A team. But there was a one point in my life where your boy happened to be the tallest kid on the team, you know? I don't know if you guys knew that. 
a little, a little too much laughing, you know, just relax over there, you sinners. Um, there was a one point that I, I, uh, I, I was a sinner. I played the sinner position. I was a five, Alex, you know, I, I was getting rebounds, you know what I'm saying? I was, that was me. That, that was my job, hit the post, hit me right there. I was a little chubbier back then, you know, uh, but I got cut from the A team. So now I'm on the B team. So that means, you know, we got our jerseys were T-shirts that were cut by scissors. Like, I kid you not, this is how ghetto it was. They were, they were cut by T-shirts. We were playing in the back auxiliary gym. The shirts didn't match the, the, the shorts. I mean, it was, it was bad. It was just bad, right? Right, I, I got cut from it. But, but you and I, we've had certain traumatic moments that have scarred us. Now, I can look back at that and laugh. But what that did was it created a pathway of unhealthy habits. And what was that unhealthy habit? I began to be very self-negative towards myself. I was, very, I was very negative towards myself, right? right? And guess what, friends? That was, that was, I'm 34 now. That was what happened when I was nine. I still do that today, right? Very negative towards myself, right? Always beating myself up. Why? Because, well, in some ways, that's how I coped with the trial. And what is yours, right? Psychology Today, the same article that I read, he talks about that, that some of us, you know, it's, it's substance abuse, right? Excessive, you know, drinking, right? To get rid of the pain, to numb yourself. Maybe it's through uh, certain drugs. I just want to let you guys know, if that's you today, we have an awesome recovery program here. God is doing some great work in our recovery ministry. Like, I just want you to know, if that's you today, come talk to us. We will take care of you. How about this? Some of us, we try to cope and manage our way in our pain by isolating ourselves. You want to know the biggest problem that happened with the pandemic? It wasn't just the pandemic itself. I'm not trying to make light of it. I'm not trying to say it wasn't a big deal. I'm not, I'm not saying any of that. I'm not, I'm not trying to be too left or too right about it. Too right, too left about it. You know, I'm not trying to be any of that. But you know the one thing that, that, that really scarred the pandemic was everyone was isolating themselves. Right? Everyone was isolating themselves. Because the adversity sometimes pushes you to think that loneliness is the answer. Right? You know, I'm just going to be alone. You know, and while I'm alone, I'm, I'm going to drink on my own, right? While I'm alone, I'm, I'm just going to be on my phone and just, just scroll and scroll and scroll. You know, an hour goes by, two hours go by. It's not a big deal, right? Sometimes we, we, we try to manage our way in our, we try to manage ourselves through that way. Maybe you're the one that's the self, you know, you're negative towards yourself, right? You're overly critical. Uh, 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 eating disorders happen through these moments, right? There's so many ways. And what James is trying to do, he's trying to help you and I to learn how to manage ourselves in the midst of the storms of life. He also could be, because I don't know if you caught in verse 1, James is writing to the diaspora. Uh, let me give you a little bit of a kind of a biblical lesson. Uh, the diaspora were these group of Christians, the Jews. The, the, they were former Jews, and now they're Christians. Uh, what happened was in Jerusalem, there was a harsh persecution that happened. And now since the persecution and the suffering happened, I don't know if you guys know, people aren't always fond of Christianity. But there was this harsh persecution that happened, and next you know, all the Christians scattered. Right? Some of your Bible says to the scattered. Right? All of them scattered. They just left their homes, left their businesses, and now they're, they're in these different areas. Well, when they left their homes and left their businesses, what happens is that puts them in a very bad financial state. Right? Like, like, like when you just leave everything at that moment because of the persecution, right, you're, you're, you're going to lack some resources. 
And I believe James is what he's doing in verses 9 to 11. He's talking about certain Christians that are lacking resources, right? And there's probably certain Christians who are struggling financially, right? If we're sticking with the context, we're all about context here in the church, right? I believe that, that he's saying there's certain Christians that are struggling financially. What they're doing, they're looking at everybody else and how they're not struggling. Now, don't we do the same thing? That when we're struggling, we, we like to look at everybody else's life, right? We like to say, well, I wish I had that, right? right? Don't go on Facebook or Instagram because you'll just see all the beautiful filters that people put up and how their life is just perfect. You're saying to yourself, I, I want that for my marriage. How come, how come I'm not financially there, right? right? I believe what James is doing, James is trying to get you and I not to, to look at what we lack, right? Because we have a tendency to think that in order for us to be happy, I got to have this, right? In order for us to be happy, I need to have a bigger house. There, there was a time where my son, he, uh, he went to a, a school in Westlake. Let me say that one more time. He went to a school in Westlake. You know, what, you know where I'm getting with that, right? So, you know, I got to drive to Westlake. And I'm looking around. I'm like, where did I go wrong? Like, these houses, I had the nerve to look up the price of one of the houses. It was $2.1 million. I'm sitting there like, you know, you know, I screwed up in life. <laughs> you know, I just, I, I've lost, you know, right? But what am I doing at that moment? I'm thinking to myself, what if I just get the house? If I just get the, the promotion? If I just find the one? Lord knows I need to find the one. If I just have children, Right? If I, just, if I just get this thing, well, then I will be happy, right? Because we place our identity and our fullness on things that we believe are going to bring us great satisfaction. But James says things like money. Now, he's, now, now, again, the Bible's not against you having things or money. Like, God wants you to be financially wise and wants you to be stable and wants you to be a good steward. Uh, he doesn't, he's not against you having money. He, doesn't want, he just doesn't want money having you. There's a difference. So here's what, here's what James is trying to say. Hey, Christians, you're looking at everybody else's stuff. That stuff is going to fade one day. That stuff, that stuff is going to be here today, but gone tomorrow. The thing you're thinking is going to bring you much happiness, much joy, much relief, much comfort. It's not eternal, right? Look, look what he says. He says it in verses 10 to 11. He says, that the rich, those with money, the, the money itself is like, a, is like a beautiful flower. But when the sun rises, it scorches. And then, you know, the, the beauty fades. Here's what James is trying to do. Here's why I love this verse. James is trying to get you and I to not say to ourselves, well, what if I had this? James is trying to say, if you're a Christian, you have everything. You're, if you have Jesus, you're a follower of Jesus, you've made it. You made it to the Super Bowl. You have the MVP. You are Tom Brady. You are Michael Jordan. You are all of it. You're, you're the, you got it all. You made it to the rooftop. Don't look at things. Look, notice he says, boast in his exaltation. Why can someone who is poor or someone who is financially uh, uh, not stable boast? Why can they be happy? Because of what they have in Christ. This is why, friends, listen to me, listen to me. This is why, friends, that you and I, take down our note. I don't need that note now. This is why, friends, we need to look to Jesus and not look to our pain so much. 
This is why having the gospel, this is why having Christ matters. Because James is not trying to give us an external viewpoint. He's not even trying to look to an internal viewpoint. He's trying to look for an eternal viewpoint. That what I have in Christ, listen, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. See, so what James is trying to do, he's saying, don't look at what you lack. Look at Christ. Look at Jesus. Listen, if you're a follower of Jesus today, you have what the world is longing for. Can I just tell you that right now? If you're a follower of Jesus today, you've made it because the riches that are in Christ are greater than the riches that are in this world. Because the riches that are in this world, the things of this world, they're going to fade. They're not going to be here. That car that you drive, guess what? It's not going to be here. The house that you have, guess what? It's not going to be here. But you want to know what's always going to be with you forever and ever? Jesus Christ himself. We need to look to the fact that as Christians, this is why we can have hope. This is why the world doesn't work in any other ideology, any other viewpoint, but only through the gospel lens. And that's where we live on. That's where we set our hope on. Now you know why I'm so excited. This is why every week we come up here and we open up the scriptures and we have to preach Jesus. Now James is not giving you the, the, the death, burial, resurrection. He's not talking about Jesus returning. Paul does that a lot in his letters. John does that a lot in his letters. Peter does that a lot in his letters. What James is trying to get you to understand, that this is what the gospel-filled life looks like. What does the gospel-filled life look like? That at the end of the day, there's one thing you can never lose, and that's Jesus Christ. This is the hope, friends. This is why we preach Christ every single week. We don't need another sermon about your legacy and your purpose. We need to preach Christ exalted on high. What we have in him, what, 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 he has supplied, what he has provided for us through the blood, through the death, through the resurrection, and now he has ascended. And guess what? He's got to return one day. This is why it's so important we preach Jesus, right? The church does not exist just to give you a good talking. I don't exist to give you good TED Talks. You can go to YouTube for that. What you need is a good Christ talk, that in him we have everything. You have everything if you're a Christian today. You have, you, you, like, I, I want you to understand that. He says you can boast because you have Christ. Now, here's what I want you to know. The discomfort of our trials is not to be ignored. I'm not trying to tell you to, to say, well, you know, that stuff isn't real. No, the discomfort of our trials is not to be ignored. We are consumed with sorrow and regret and envy and despair because of our limited resources. I get it. But there is a greater reality we must look to, who we are and what we have in Christ. This is why the gospel matters. Because in the midst of adversity, in the midst of difficulty, what's going to bring you great satisfaction isn't when you get more of stuff in this world, but when you look to the blessed riches that you have in Jesus Christ. Listen, when you look to the fact that you are chosen, you are forgiven, you have a hard time forgiving yourself, Jesus does not. You are chosen. You are forgiven. You've been bought by the blood of Christ. You are redeemed. You are seen as a son and a daughter. What you have in Christ is greater than what you lack in this world. What you have in Christ is, is greater than what you lack in this life right now. It's much greater. And I need you to really look at, this is why the cross matters Listen, the cross is just not a place where we just go to study. 
and observe one time a year on a Sunday. The cross is not a place to study. It's a place where we find identity. It's a place where we find acceptance. It's a place where we find forgiveness. It's a place where we find fullness. It's a place where we remind ourselves that there is a God who loves me and who leads me and who delights in me. This is where your hope is, friend. This is why you can count it all joy. This is why you can count it all joy. This is a gospel message, right? James gets a lot of flack because he doesn't bring up all the stuff that Paul does, but this is a gospel message that Christ himself is enough. That Christ is enough. I'm sweating my my face off right now because I want you to truly understand if you go home today and you grow despair and you just get so upset because life is very, very hard, and I get it. I'm with you right there, brother and sister. I'm with you, and, and I'm pleading with God that you would not look to just a despair, but that you would look to what Christ and his despair and what his suffering meant for you and I. I'm, I'm, I'm asking you to, to, to not walk out of here with the same mindset where you just continuously think about how hard life is but that you will look to the cross and remind you how good God is. That's why I'm asking you. I'm begging you to do that. I'm begging you. To, it will save your soul. It will save you from having a bad attitude. It will save you from quitting on everything. It will save you from just stopping. It will save you not looking at what you lack, but what you have in Christ. Because it's Christ that matters. You've made it. Whoever finds Jesus finds life. Whoever finds Jesus finds life. I don't have time to preach the other verses. I'm sorry. I'll have to do it next week, but I got you. I told myself this. I don't know how I'm going to preach the other verses because this, this, is, this, this is so rich. James says, this is why you can boast. You who, uh, when you're, div- this is your, you're, you've been divorced three times. This is why you, when your marriage is on the brink of, of destruction. This is why you... In the midst of your loneliness, because we all experience loneliness in this room today. This is why you, in the midst of what you lost last year, whether it was someone or something, that you can count it all joy. Because the gospel fills the areas where we lack in this world. The Lord is my shepherd, shall not want. Leave me beside still waters. Restores my soul. He leads me on the path of righteousness for his name's sake. I'm going to do the King James. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. I fear no evil. Not because I'm going to get the promotion tomorrow. Not because, you know, uh, things are going to be better in this way. I fear no evil because you are with me. Your staff comforts me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. The cup overflows. I mean, blessing upon blessing upon blessing. If you're a Christian, you are the most blessed person in this world. You are more blessed uh, uh, than, than any other billionaire. You have the true riches in Christ Jesus. Right? Jeff Bogues can't compare to the blessings you have in Christ. Right? He says, you prepare a table before me in front of the presence of my enemy. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. 
And that's what, that's what David says. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord. What? That's a gospel message. David wrote that thousands of years before Jesus. Dwelling in the house of the Lord forever is what Christ has achieved for you and I. That I would be with Christ and the sorrows of this world won't compare to the beauty of being in the presence of Jesus. Ever. This is why we preach Christ crucified. The city doesn't need another policy. It needs the Prince of Peace. It doesn't need uh, another uh, levy to pass to, to help with the this, that, and the third. You know what it needs? It needs the Lord of all. The gospel of Jesus Christ. Friends, what if, our, what if our lives look like this? That we look to what we have in Christ more than what we lack in this world. Let's pray. Dear Father, I just want to say thank you for the joy of what we have in Christ. What a friend we have in Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, the one who knew no sin but became sin so that we might be the righteousness of God, the one who achieved our nearness to the Father, our ability to dwell in your presence forever and ever. I pray today that many of us would look not to what we don't have in this world, but what you have achieved for us. And we look to not just what you have achieved for us, but you will, what you will achieve through us. I pray, Lord, for those who are facing the true adversities of life right now, that their, their minds will be stayed on you, to trust you, to look to you, to be with them, to bless them, to guide them, to guard them, to protect them, to be their refuge and their rock and their fortress in the midst of this a thing called life. And Lord, life is hard, but it's impossible without you. Life is already difficult. Life is already uh, 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 at a point where it feels burdensome. But Jesus, you and I, we can look to you. We thank you for the bloodshed, Lord. Thank you for your perfect death. Not only do we look to your perfect death, we look to the fact that the tomb is empty and Jesus Christ reigns forever and ever. Amen.